Welcome to Kingdom in Context. The Creator never intended for us to be confused by His words. He gave us His words of life, and He gave them in context, to be understood and beneficial to our walk with Him. This channel's goal is to bring clarity to some of the misconceptions that have formed over time among believers and taught by others, however innocent and well-intended. The scriptures make complete sense when we keep them in context of His coming kingdom and His coming King, Jesus the Messiah. If you're blessed by what we're doing with this channel and feel led to support us, visit the video description below where we have a PayPal option, a monthly Patreon option, or a traditional P.O. Box address. Thank you, and remember, context creates comprehension. I'm Sean Griffin, your host. Thank you for joining us tonight. And tonight we're going to talk about a special topic that I've heard a lot of people ask about. And formerly in my life, growing up in church and then going to Bible college and then hearing, growing up in, I should say, an evangelical style church, uh, like an Assemblies of God slash Pentecostal, evangelical, charismatic, you know, that whole vein where you hear a lot of talk about the gifts of the Spirit, a lot of emphasis on healing and I always this was a, this was a topic that was in my mind. I never had a good answer until I studied the Old Testament better, which I would suggest would clear up about ninety nine point nine percent of all of our questions. But that was my my experience. So tonight we're going to talk about this idea that many people out there are teaching the disciples of Jesus Christ were the last generation to actually have miracles flow through them, as we see happening with Jesus and also with some of the prophets, but. Is that actually what the scriptures say? So in order to answer that question, I feel like we need to dive into what actually causes miracles from God through his spirit to flow through a believer and benefit others. So we're going to talk about that tonight. I really want to thank everyone for joining me tonight. There's a lot of people already in the chat. I uh, just want to say hello to a few people if I can already. Uh, the Great Deception is back. Stephen Schofield, Lynette Moody. Joy Trujillo, Trujillo, Beetlejuice, Pixie Dixie, Pixie from Dixie. Welcome, everyone. Cover to cover with Jeremy Pierce is here. Mr. Bear, James 122, David Shearer, welcome, sir. Um, Jonathan Mishk, I think I said that right. Welcome. Carla Malberg, welcome. Miss, Miss Marsh is here, welcome. Paul Levi. Let me see here. We have... Let me scroll further back up earlier in the night. Well, uh, stress-free me is here. <laughs> I love some of these names. But, all right, let me see here. And it's good to see everyone back. Uh, Village, Vil, Vigilant Watchman is back. If I can say that right. Torah Bear is back. Welcome. Uh, Timothy Ward. Good to see everyone. Jen Sewell. Welcome, welcome. Son of the Sanctified. Calvin E. Sean M. Welcome, everybody. And there's a lot more, but we need to get right to it, guys. Um Tonight is, as you guys may, you know, may have been, if any of you are following me on social media, we are starting our, 
our pre-launch marketing for Lighthouse. Many of you have heard me talking about it. You may have seen one of the adverts as we opened up tonight uh, to give you just a small little teaser of um, kind of, you know, so the basic homepage. And that's before you start clicking buttons and getting to all the functionality and the fun parts of the actual social media site. So uh, the homepage itself is unique and it's going to be something that I think everyone's going to love. We feel like it's very intuitive. And more than anything, guys, if you haven't already found us on Facebook, I know some people don't use Facebook, but the majority of you do. So go over to lighthouse.com, the group, and you, you can just go to my page if you don't know how to search for groups in Lighthouse's search features. But you can go to my page. I've been dropping a lot of links for it in the past three or four days. And you can just click on those links, go to the group, and then uh, join that group. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't require anything from you, but to join. The reason we created that group is so that we can help share the word and get the word out there. So the idea is that everything that's put into that group is intended for sharing on social media to help people be aware of what Lighthouse is, how it is going to offer them um, an integrated platform with video, social, and a marketplace all in one. And there'll be no censorship. So you have free speech. This is the joy. This is, this is something that we've been working on for a very long time. And it's getting very close to launch. So um, people need to be ready for it. And so we've already had a, the group, I think, is already almost at 2,000 uh, members in the past couple of days. So go and join that group. Help us grow it to 10,000. And, uh, and so what we'll do is the idea is to every time I put something in that group, you guys are able to share it on your social medias. And it's just it helps us get the word out to get around the censorship algorithms. Um, and that's that's really why we need your help. So if you're watching this, please go check that out. Um, I'm going to put the link to that group in the video description of this video. And uh, also you'll get to find out more updates and news about Lighthouse and when it's coming out and see more teasers and, and when we start releasing our actual advertisements for it in the, in the coming weeks. And so go do that. Really appreciate it. And um, we just really want to say a big thank you personally as Kingdom in Context we want to big, say a big thank you to everyone that supports us on Patreon, also through PayPal or in the mail. You guys are a huge blessing to us. And y'all have written us encouraging letters. We just really want to thank you. Some of you guys have actually sent cash in the mail. We, we really thank you. Um, although we don't always recommend that, you know, we got the PayPal and the Patreon set up for a reason for you to make it secure and safe for you. But if, if you want to do that, that's up to you. <laughs> but we just really want to say a heartfelt thank you. Lindsay and I appreciate it. It helps us do what we're doing. And um, part of what we're doing and what I'll be doing for the next few months is is a lot of my time will be spent with uh, the marketing for Lighthouse because that's going to allow channels like you're watching, like Kingdom of Context, and also like a lot of the channels that many of you who are in my audience, I, I share the same interests in the type of video content we watch related to religious materials, right? And we know both truth and materials and religious materials have been highly censored by the platform you're watching this on currently. They've been highly censored in the past year or two. So helping us get this thing to a place where we can launch this new censorship free platform that will allow us to thrive again and to, and to share the message however we want. So this is going to be a huge blessing from the father. Um, we just need your help and support. So go check that out. All right. Let's see if there's a tonight as always. Um, there is a, um, uh, a Q&A at the very end. So, you know, I'm going to be going over some scriptures, some ideas, but ultimately make sure you stick around for the Q&A. If you have any, you know, scriptures you'd like to add to, because I, I can't cover them all. Otherwise we'd be here for a long time, but 
um, or if you have any questions, you know. So once that time comes at the Q&A here a little bit later, make sure that you're going to put your questions in all capitalization. That way, the moderators and myself, we can easily spot them in the chat and you have a higher uh, probability of me actually seeing them to answer them live. So we appreciate it. Okay, guys, miracles. This is the topic for tonight. We see miracles happening with Jesus everywhere he went, everywhere. Uh, we see his disciples doing miracles too. Um, act, in fact, I would suggest is, you know, within six to 12 months of him actually discipling them, he then sends them out in Luke 9 and Matthew 10. So he trains them and then he trusted them enough with what he had already explained to them to send them out. And, you know, the, if you really think about it, like, think about, <laughs> think about like how many years that we may have gone to a church to where it's never been told to you that like the mentality of when you're at a church or at a Bible study, it's never told you that there's an end point. It's never said to you that, you know, I mean, unless you go to like a Bible college or a seminary and then you get an actual accreditation, which is what this discipleship concept has turned into, which is something usually you got to pay a lot of money for. But originally, like Yeshua was just traveling around with these guys uh, from from town to town, you know, and and they're basically he, he got to a point from my understanding, my estimation within six to 12 months of telling all these guys, hey, you're ready. You can go out to these towns and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And, you know, don't take any money with you and people accept your message. Cool. If they don't, you know, dust your feet off and walk on. He like he trusted them enough with what he had taught them that they coherently understood enough of the gospel of the kingdom that he already taught them. And that means including the component pieces like the the theological, um, you know, uh, pieces that are built into the overall story of the gospel of the kingdom, you know, which is the covenants which is the land of promise, right? The Garden of Eden becomes back as the New Jerusalem or Zion has this referenced in Isaiah, which is more than likely what Yeshua was referencing. Also, you get the concept of the, the covenant requirements, right? The, the, um, the tenets of the, of the requirement of the covenant, which was the commandments, which is your behavior. And then of course the resurrection, he's speaking about that, you know, all over the place. Um, this was the gospel of the kingdom of God. He's explaining that there's going to be a time. You guys remember the word gospel means good news. So he was explaining there was a, there was going to be some good news that the kingdom of God, a literal place. In fact, it's literally a walled off place, just like the garden was. It's coming back as a new Jerusalem, also called Zion. It's the father's house. It's literally coming down to where we live through the firmament levels down to our level to exist. And there'll be peace on earth as a result. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. We look around at our world. We see people dying from starvation, intentional starvation of people groups. We see people dying from, you know, malaria and typhoid fever and all kinds of different ailments and diseases. Pestilence is what it's generally referred to in scripture. We also see people killing each other over nonsense and sometimes over, over other things that we wouldn't consider nonsense, but they're still killing each other. There's still warfare. There's still man shedding man's blood. There's still vast um, degradation of the creation itself. And this is where um, I, I often reference Revelation chapter 11, where it talks about the moment when Yeshua returns, that the father has sent his son to go route the wicked out of the earth. And it's and the angels in heaven are praising the father. He's like there because they're praising him, saying, now you've taken your power and you've begun to reign. And in this moment, Yeshua is being sent out the angels to go fight the battle of Armageddon, to go establish, you know, prepare the way for the New Jerusalem to set down. 
to fight the kings of the earth to stop the people from warring basically and but they're going to try to fight him as he as he comes to do that so this whole concept is that the world itself and and in that passage in revelation 11 and it's, it's explaining that the those who are destroying not and persecuting not just the people of god but also destroying the earth itself so i'm not like a you know huge environmentalist or anything like that but there there are literal forces according to scripture there's little forces out there that are destroying the earth as a result of what's called unrighteous behavior or wickedness we this is the famous you know, uh, call by Yahweh to people of faith. You know, he says, if you turn from your wicked ways and seek my face and, and in turn, I will heal your land because the land is affected by our behavior, not just believers, but mankind in general who live upon the land. When we act unrighteously or wickedly or destructively, the land suffers as a result of that. So therefore the earth, when there's mass unrighteousness, there's mass wickedness, the earth is affected by it which is the place that we all have to live. So this is why he comes back to restore, not just the land, but also peace on earth amongst the people living here. And this is where, um, yeah, the great deception. He also addresses the merchants of the earth in, in revelation 18, where he has to, you know, stop them from trading human slaves and all the, the vast covetousness of wealth and materials that are mentioned in revelation 18. Um, but it's not just the goods of, you know, linens and gold and silver and resources, but also of human lives. They're being trafficked as well. So that's going to stop when he returns as well. We know that's a, a big thing that's supposed to be in the news right now, but it's actually being ignored by most of the news um, is that there's so much of human lives that are being trafficked. And it's actually, I believe it's in, um, man, I'm trying to remember the, the actual verse off the top of my head. I, I want to say it's in Malachi 3. Or Zephaniah three, it's in Zephaniah three, where he's reprimanding, um, he's reprimanding apostate Israel for actually selling children, um, and it's it's horrible. It's just a part of Baal ritualistic occult behavior, and so they had rebelled against the covenant, and were worshiping Baal during that span, right before they were invaded by the Assyrians and the Babylonians later. So they were doing the same ways of the world that we see going on today. That Yeshua has to come back and stop. All this is happening in our world today. So Yeshua is explaining to his disciples that the good news is that at the end of the story, the father's house is going to come down and all that nonsense is going to stop. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God. He then sends his disciples out and says, when you heal people, tell them the gospel of the kingdom has come upon you. Right, the good news of the kingdom has come upon him because that's the behavior we're all going to be able to do in our glorified resurrected bodies once we are resurrected, taken into our home inside of Zion, the New Jerusalem, uh, where the Father and the Son are, and we exist. That's our land of inheritance. So we're all going to be able to have that power to, for the Spirit to flow through us, like you know, like second nature. So that we, this is, in my opinion, this is what John Jesus was talking about in John ten, where he's talking about, "You will do the things I did, and even greater." Because, yeah, we'll, we'll, for eternity, we'll have the power of the Spirit of God to flow through us without hindrance to do the things that he did while he was here. And we'll do them greater because we'll have the whole millennial reign to do them, not just the short time that he was here. So there's going to be it's going to be amazing. So let's look, though, at some of the qualifiers um, and let's just look at a, a great story here in the scriptures where Yeshua is. Um, he's actually doing some some miracles and they're actually they're trying to figure out how he 
you know, how is he doing these miracles here in Mark chapter one, verse 14 says, now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Believe in the gospel. All right. Verse 16, he says, as he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boats, many in the nets. And immediately he called them. They left their father, Zebedee, in the boat and with the hired servants and went away with, to follow him. They went into to Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Just as a, this is not the point of tonight's lesson, but just as, as a piece of fun side tangent um if you're interested just go go into the old testament and see in the prophets how many times you see this term the holy one of god and the demons just called him the holy one of god just in case you thought oh is jesus in the old testament <laughs> he's he's everywhere by the way all right so in, in verse 25 it says and jesus rebuked him saying be quiet and come out of him Throwing him into the convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they debated amongst themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. <laughs> so he, he does it again. We'll, we'll read a little bit more here. He says in verse 29, Immediately they came out of the synagogue. They came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. Immediately, they spoke to Jesus about her. He came to her. He raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. <laughs> so, I, I'm sorry. I was going to make a joke, but I'm, I'm going to refrain. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. He was not permitted. He was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. <laughs> we also see this in Matthew chapter 8 as well. Legion, they knew who he was. So this, this idea of him walking through and just being able to heal people of physical ailment, um, healing all who were sick that were brought to them with all these various diseases, as it says in verse 33, and then also being able to just cast the demons out. This whole concept is generically referred to as miraculous powers. These are just a couple. Obviously we know he also calmed the sea. He also walked on water. He, you know, he resurrected people. So, which is the ultimate form of healing their body. Um, so this is in a beautiful moment here where the, where Yeshua is walking around exemplifying his authority and proper sound doctrine L look who says the question here they debated amongst themselves now i i personally because it's they're referencing the scribes 
I personally feel like since he's in the synagogue doing this moment right here in Capernaum, the people that are asking this question is the Pharisees. And it could be the people with him, but ultimately because they're they're literally comparing him to the scribes. And that's that's usually who the Pharisees are comprised of as well, because they had tried to take over the priesthood. And so he's in a synagogue doing these concepts and, you know, casting out this demon of this person in this moment. And the people that start questioning him are saying, well, wait, how does he have this authority and this teaching? Which is to him, it's just like it's an amazing to them. It was a surprising thing. Now, if this is your first time to see Kingdom in Context, then boy, do we have a lot of fun videos for you to watch. But the next few statements I'm about to make is geared mostly towards the people that watch me on a regular basis. Many of you know that we've, we're halfway through the book of Matthew. We've been doing a, a, an in-depth study on the book of Matthew. It's called New Testament Context for Pastors. And as we've been seeing every step of the way in the book of Matthew in Yeshua's life, he is walking around with sound doctrine. So he has sound doctrine because the scribes and the Pharisees of the day did not. So I'm trying to paint the contextual setting for you with how Yeshua is walking into this atmosphere. He's going into a synagogue where they're supposed to be learning about, about Yahweh and his, his, his covenant and his ways. But he goes and he starts teaching them. And he's exemplifying the spirit of God flowing through him to cast out demons and, and, and even tell them to be quiet, right? The unclean spirits. The Pharisees and the scribes did not have this ability. That's why they're surprised. They're amazed, as it says in verse 27. They're amazed. The reason he had this authority was because he was doing what he taught. He was keeping the commandments of God, as he tells us in John chapter 8. Excuse me, John. Um, let's go there real quick. As he tells us in John chapter 15. He did this faithfully. And this allowed him to have that authority. So I'm going to put this, let me make it bigger for us to see. He says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. We just read about him in Mark 1, bearing fruit. Not only with good teaching, but with the authority to affect people's lives for good through the miraculous ability to take control of unclean spirits and heal people's sicknesses. So he bared fruit. So he says then, and so proved to be my disciples. Now, Keep in mind, I don't want people to get pigeonholed into this idea. This isn't the only fruits that you bear as a disciple of Yeshua. Being able to love your neighbor as you love yourself, being able to forgive your neighbor when he wrongs you, being able to walk in kindness, compassion, and mercy, justice, and righteousness, the weightier matters of the law, that's also fruits. Okay, but tonight, for the, for the topic of tonight, we're talking about miracles. Okay, but what I'm exemplifying is that Yeshua, because he taught sound doctrine, and a part of that is the, the behavior of the covenant, which is the behavior of the creator. And that is the commandments. That's what he's walking in perfectly. That's what he's teaching people to obey by. And this is why he's getting so much flack from the people that are amazed at his authority, because they were not teaching the commandments of God. They were teaching the traditions of men. So he tells us in John 15, 8 through 11, my father's glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So in two statements, he just told us to abide in his love. And then he told us how 
to abide in his love. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Guys, do we do we think his commandments are different than the Father's commandments? <laughs> it's not, not even close, right? Let's go to John chapter 7. Um, look what he says right here, verse 16. Jesus answered them, said, My teaching is not mine, but it's his who sent me. So in John 15, when he tells us to keep his commandments, and let's go back to John 15, because he actually expounds with some extra context to tell you the commandments that he was keeping. And it's and they weren't his. He just didn't make any up. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So just as a fun side note, he, he told you how to be happy right here. This is Yeshua, the son of God, um, the perfect example for good behavior. He, he told you how to be happy. Your joy can be full. If you keep the commandments he kept, which he said he kept his father's commandments. That's how we can abide in his love and how we can actually have happiness in this lifetime. So, again, that's not really the point of tonight, but <laughs> it's just right there for us. If you want to hold it and grab it and take it and run with it, you can be happy. You can. It's a good thing. Just keep his commandments. With that, he's telling us this is how you do it. He's connecting his instructions to us, which is to keep the commandments, which is the same commandments that he kept his father's, which is why he tells us in John 7, uh, 7 16, that his teaching is not his own. His doctrine is not his own. That's what the word teaching means, just in case anyone's questioning. The word doctrine and the word teaching, same thing. So he's saying, look, I, I didn't just make some stuff up on my own. I'm, everything I'm saying is from the Father. Everything I'm doing is from the Father. This is why it tells us here he kept his Father's commandments. So that is Torah. In fact, you know, Deuteronomy 13, had he taught anything different than his Father's commandments, he would have been a false prophet and would not be the Messiah at all. So there's complete consistency and congruity between his message for us to keep the behavior of, of the, the instructions of God is generically sometimes called the Torah. And then it's his what he calls his father's commandments. Like he could have actually, if we were speaking Hebrew right here, guys, he would have said his Abba's Torah. But translated, you know, from different places up to the English, it comes out to my father's commandments. It just means my father's instructions for living. That's what's going to bring you happiness and joy. And that's what he's telling them that he's been doing. And that's how he's been bearing fruit as a result of that. So remember the context of what he's doing with his disciples this whole time. As he's telling them how to do this. He is teaching them how to do this. And that's why they're getting persecuted by the Pharisees of that day. For example, so let's go to um, let's go to back back to the bark, the book of Mark. And we'll go to chapter 7, where we see in, in plain writing here, where he calls out, um, he calls out the, the Pharisees and the scribes. Remember? Look at look at the verse 5 right above it. The Pharisees and the scribes ask him, who, what was he talking about Mark 1? He went to the synagogue, and the, they were amazed. Like, who's this guy? He's teaching better than the scribes, and he's even got authority. Yeah, the Pharisees were like a malignant cancer. That was trying to, they had already absconded the priesthood and they were, they were, you know, leading the people into traditions that were nullifying the commandments of God, which is what he says right here. Verse six, 
He says, and he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts far away from me. But in vain do they teach me teaching as doctrines of precept of men, neglecting the commandment of God. You hold to the tradition of man. Guys, this is how relevant is this, is this to us today when we hear some denomination telling us that that the, the ability for the gifts of the, of the Spirit of God to flow through you to affect change, positive change in someone's life, that that's not possible anymore because that was just for the first century and now we're in a new dispensation of grace. When God says that his commandments are eternal, his spirit, where my spirit has liberty and the, the priesthood of Yeshua is still intact. We're going to go over that in just a second because that's how we get to the point of having the power to do these miracles. And that's still going. Yeshua is our high priest forever. He's faithful. He's never going to fail that position, as Hebrews tells us. But yet, modern tradition of men nullifies these words by saying, oh, that was just for the first century AD. That's come and gone. They don't call themselves Pharisees anymore. They don't even sometimes realize they're repeating the behavior of the Pharisees. But this is the deception that has crept in for believers through false doctrines, through bad teachings. So we keep, Jesus goes on and he says, he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. You say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin, meaning he already gave it to God, to the temple. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus, you invalidate the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things such as that. So he's just, he's just calling them out in one little area right here. But they had all these extra, quote-unquote, oral teachings from the Talmud. <laughs> That they were, which is not the commandments of God, and they were the the two actions were contrary, right? So they're the nullifying what God's good instruction was by them trying to say, well, here's, oh yeah, we they were root of vipers, right? So they would say, yeah, yeah, the, the law of God is great, we follow it, and here's all these other rules that you need to do in order to follow it. But those other rules ended up making people contradict the actual instruction, the simplicity of the instruction of God. And made it complicated therefore nullifying and causing problems that conflicted their actual obedience so that therefore guys what i'm trying to get at i'm trying to give you this context of the whole scenario of yeshua's message the audience right it's part of the context when you're finding when you're looking for context in um in reading the scriptures is who who's being spoken to not just who is speaking but who's being spoken to that's the audience the audience yeshua is talking to They've been taught this bad, wonky stuff. So they were powerless. Do you guys remember the, um, put in the chat, Was it is it in Romans or Corinthians where Paul talks about having a form of godliness but lacking the power thereof? Do you guys remember the scripture off the top of your head? Anyone in the chat? Because this was the entire Pharisaical order of his day. They have a form of godliness. It means a form of righteousness, a form of looking like they were following God. But they did not truly have any substance. Why Yeshua in Matthew 23 calls them whitewashed tombs. They're dead on the inside. They, they try to look nice on the outside. 
they're faking it. They're faking the funk, but they're not going to fake it till they make it because that's not how it works with Yeshua's law, with the Torah, with God's instructions for living. All right, so David Shear says the second Timothy three, five through seven. Let's go there real quick. Because I, I was thinking it's in Romans, so I think you're right, David. Let's go check it out. Or maybe you weren't talking to me, brother. I'm sorry. Let me see here. Second Timothy, second to me. I'm in first Timothy. <laughs> that's that's the problem. Okay. All right, so we'll, we'll just, thank you, brother. Let's check this out real quick. All right, so here's Paul expounding on some things. He says, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. That's what we talked about on Milk and Meat, right? Part four of our second exit, part three of our second exit series. It says, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, Malicious, man, irreconcilable. Guys, I, I'm sorry that just hit me. Irreconcilable is, it, it weighs on my heart. It really does. And that's that's what I see amongst brethren. I see this amongst believers. I see this amongst other people teaching the word on YouTube. They're irreconcilable. Like there's people that hate me and I reach out to them and offer to make amends. Whatever it might take within reason. And I get nothing but an irreconcilable behavior back from them. It's uncalled. It's just childish pettiness. And it's it really hurts my heart. It, it's something that we've dealt with literally since we've started our ministry. It, it's it's just blows my mind how people who claim to be <laughs> walking in ministry can hold to this weird, you know, allegiance due to what a specific little minutiae of doctrine they disagree with me on. You know, but here I am on the other side offering to them the olive branch and saying, hey, it's okay. I mean, we can have slightly different, you know, doctrines. We're, we're still preaching all, you know, 95% of the same core. And, and that's the most important part. But your little specific, you know, your little specific disagreement on one little thing that does not affect salvation at all, at all. And you're not only telling, not only unable to actually speak with me like a human being like you did before, but now you're telling other people I'm a horrible person. This is to me, like, this is just absolutely the, the most improper behavior for someone who claims to be teaching God's word that I've ever seen. Yet these people just keep plowing on acting like nothing, nothing ever happened. It's just blows me away. It just blows me away. Um, all right, but let's, let's keep going here. I'm sorry to get derailed guys. So it says, verse 2, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They're boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. They're unholy, unloving, irre irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. For among them there are those who enter in households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins and led on by various impulses always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So th this is a concept we see that people do have a form of godliness, but like you said, deny the power thereof, because this is what Yeshua was dealing with in his day with the Pharisees, which is also what Paul was dealing with in his days with the Pharisees, is that they just, they really did put on themselves th that they were more, more righteous than everybody else, but they really weren't because they weren't teaching the actual 
sound doctrine of the prophets, which is the commandments of God. That's why, and I'll go there real quick for you to reiterate. We talked about this, I think, in our, our second um, part on New Testament context for pastors, but let's just a quick review. That's why Yeshua makes this statement right here. He says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness, that, that word righteousness means your good behavior, right? Your behavior that's in line with the creator's behavior. He says, for unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's bringing this behavior right back around to the message of the kingdom of heaven. So this is also what he has been teaching his disciples this whole time. And as he's teaching them this, they go out and they literally do it. And they start practicing it, guys. Let's go to one real quick where let's go to Luke because I don't reference Luke that often. I should more. But he. this is where he actually tells them. Um, in verse uh, one, 1 through 6 here in Luke 9. He actually says, um, and he called the 12 together. I'm sorry, guys, one second. He said he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons to heal diseases. And he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. Now, this is a this is a verse that people will use and say, well, see, in this moment right here, this is when he this is when he did it. See, he gave them power to go out and do this. So before this, they didn't have the power. He gave it to them. And then when they died, that power's gone. So we can't do it. He hasn't given it to you or I. <laughs> That's not even close. Not even close. So let's let's take a look. Um, let's see if I can find this. Chapter, was it Matthew 10 or Luke 9? Luke 10. One second. All right. So here in, oh, it's in Mark. I'm sorry. Go back to Mark. It's in Mark 9. So the, the disciples in this moment, they actually have, um, they have a question because the, the dispensational teachers, right, point of tonight's show, the dispensational teachers will tell you that, oh, just in that moment, Matthew 10 and Luke 9, when he sent them out and gave them authority to heal, heal diseases and cast out demons, and that was just for them. That was just because they had direct contact with Messiah. Well, let's keep, let's look at some surrounding context to this idea. Um, so here in Mark chapter 9, John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name. That means authority, guys. And be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, because of your authority as followers of Christ, that same authority that he's given them and he's discipling them to send them out, he says, truly, I say to you, he will not lose his reward. So, guys, this is someone they don't even know. John's like, we saw this We saw this other dude. He's out there casting out demons in your name. You're performing miracles, verse, as it says in verse 39. How, should we stop him? He's, he's claiming to be like doing it in your authority. Do you remember what we talked about um, last week when we went over the Tovia Singer arguments? When they also had, we reviewed the uh, prof the Hebrew professor's lecture on the Dead Sea Scrolls, and she was explaining the priesthood ideas. 
So this is why we're going to, we step into the authority concept. This is what Yeshua is teaching that at Mark chapter one, the reason he teaches with authority is that the Messiah who's destined to come, not in his first coming, but he, he, but after he's dead and resurrected, he gets, he's granted the priesthood, which has authority built into it. But even outside of the priesthood, you have the the people that are doing this in the quote unquote authority of the Messiah, which means they're if you understood that Old Testament context, then you're doing this in the authority of a high priest, because that high priest was righteous and a conduit of God's Spirit to you. And let's go to a scripture that tells you exactly that. So here we go in chapter two of Acts. Peter is breaking it down for us. He gives the big sermon. He explains even with you know the idea of the Spirit being poured out in the last days. And he goes in further on to explain who Yeshua is and how he was resurrected and he wasn't left in Sheol. He then goes on further to say that um, Yeshua is, is the Christ that's been prophesied, the Messiah. And he says right here, um, this Jesus, I'm sorry, make it big for you guys. <laughs> says this Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, that's a place of authority, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath poured forth this which you both see and hear. So what was prophesied of him, Psalm 110, 1-4, was that he would be made a high priest, that's someone that sits at the right hand of God, that's Psalm 110, verse 1. And this is what, you what Peter is explaining has been fulfilled now with, with Yeshua, that he ascended, he's at the right hand of the Father in his priestly position, now he poured the Spirit out, on them on the day of Pentecost. And that's not a coincidence, guys. If you haven't already seen my morning cup of context, it's called Acts 2, nothing new. We go over that from the Old Testament, from Numbers 11. It's, it's, it is the benefit of having a priest who's doing the Torah correctly. So you have the ability for the, for the Holy Spirit to flow through the priest to the people. And then when that happens, miraculous things start happening with the people. So we have Yeshua walk around, and, and let me back up. For a high priest to be doing his job right means he's doing the commandments of God faithfully. This is all interconnected, guys. We have Yeshua the high priest doing the commandments of God faithfully, and in his the whole concept of him walking around saying, I am the Son of Man, I am the Messiah. And for him to teach people that, for him to for him to for them to think that he is the one to come, for John the Baptist to declare this man is the Lamb of God. The people knew that much of the Old Testament to know what's being declared. So they knew there was someone to be expected. That was at least the people that heard John the Baptist preaching that message knew this much. And with that information in the context of the Messiah that they heard was supposed to come, and especially if they had the, the, the prophecies of Ezra to know that it, it matches the timeline of the 400 years, it was definitely the fullness of time, like he says. Fullness of time is here. The kingdom of God is at hand, which means this coming is in transition. Uh, because it was what Ezra prophesied at that 400-year mark. So if they had known any of these little details that were the context of the Messiah they were expecting, then you would have with that to know that he's going to step into a priesthood position, which is a, a ruler of authority over the people. So we got the commandments is what allows your heart to be softened for the Holy Spirit to work through you. So faithfulness and walking in the commandments of God, and you do that, the Spirit is given to you through Yeshua, who is our high priest, 
So he has the ability to pour it out as we're reading here in Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This is the part of his job. So this is why it looks like, it looks like, I'm going to stress this if I can. It looks like this is all happening new and that Yeshua was special and it only was happening through him. But what did we just read? This is these are verses that we just skipped that are skipped over when we're told this dispensation theology that's so erroneous, that's so poor teaching. What did we just read from Mark chapter nine? There was some other guy out there doing miracles, and he was doing it in the name in the authority of the Messiah because he knew the prophecies. Guys, this is something that I, I hope to, you know, burst your preconceived bubbles with. The disciples that Yeshua picked. They were the disobedient dudes. These are the guys that needed to learn righteousness. They needed to learn Torah. John the Baptist didn't. So we have to break out of this dispensation mindset. John the Baptist was walking righteously in Torah. He was taught it from his parents. In fact, we'll go there real quick because they were, they were literally commended for it in John chapter 1. So let's go... Let's go um, John chapter 2, maybe. Sorry, I'm having, I've had a lot on my mind. So I think I'm, I got this backwards. I think it's Luke, Luke chapter 1. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at this real quick. All right. In the days of King Herod, uh, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Guys, this is a huge statement here. They were both righteous in the sight of God. That means they had right behavior according to the Torah. According to the, They were keeping the commandments, walking blamelessly. They were doing them faithfully. They were doing them to the best of their ability and all the requirements of the Lord. So the reason why I'm saying this is Yeshua went around, he picked out some guys that didn't know this stuff. He picked out the average layperson who had not had a good training in how to follow the Lord. But the, here's the catch, though. They also had not been trained in Pharisaical Judaism. They had not been trained like Paul was, who was indoctrinated with all this tradition and, and that nullified the commandments. So he had some kind of, you know, he had some confused yet, you know, semi- fresh slates to deal with. <laughs> so if I could put, you know, if I could, I don't have a graph for you right now, but if I could put up here, you have like three categories. Okay. First category are the Pharisees who are not doing the commandments of God, but acting like they were. And you had the regular people that were being, you know, sheep with bad shepherds. They were being led astray. This is our middle category that Yeshua went after. They're, they're being led astray by the Pharisees. But then you had this very, very small remnant segment over here, which is like John the Baptist's parents and a few other people around. Uh, also further down here, we have in Luke chapter two, we have Ash, um, Anna, the prophetess that's in the temple as well. Um, but you, you, you know, obviously Mary and Joseph were considered righteous. Um, so we had these other people that were around the, the guy we read about, the nameless dude from Mark chapter nine that John is talking to Jesus about. They're doing the Torah faithfully. They are doing it correctly, 
but they're living in a, in a society where the Pharisees have taken over and taken control of the priesthood and they're struggling. You know, they're, they're, in, they're like a lot of us who's woken up to the actual fullness of the Torah, but you see all this deception all around you and you see the religious leaders teaching bad stuff and you see the confused people all around you and you're just doing your best to keep the commandments the best you can. So those three groups that Jesus dealt with, we have the same three groups today. So as a result of this, Yeshua picked the people that needed help. This is why he tells John in Mark chapter nine, oh, don't mess with that dude. He, he's already got it figured out. You listen to me. <laughs> I'm going to help you figure it out. So then you can you can go walk around and do this stuff too. See what I'm saying? So, so we have an example you know, in the days of Yeshua, outside of the realm of his disciples, someone already keeping the Torah and walking in the authority of Messiah by doing miracles because they're doing Torah. Same with John the Baptist. This is why Elijah could cross split the Jordan with his cape. This is why he called on fire from heaven. This is why he raised the dead. Just like Yeshua, he can do any all these things, mastery of the creation, mastery over, over disease and sickness. He can do the benefits of the kingdom of God. This is why Yeshua would tell you the kingdom of God to come upon you, right? Because this is the benefit. This is what you're going to experience in the kingdom. And I'm just giving you a dose of it right now a little early. But this is the behavior, the benefits of the kingdom that are being poured out through miraculous behavior. Now, we have a better opportunity now that we have a high priest serving faithfully before the Father, as Acts chapter 2 expounded upon, who now he can pour forth as he chooses. This is why he tells them in Matthew, uh, John chapter 14, he says to the disciples, it's better for you that I leave so I can send the comforter. Because that was his job. That was what was intended for him as the high priest, to be literally, you know, the, 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 the conduit, the... You know, the one that gives out the spirit, how he would choose to from the heavenly tabernacle, because that's part of the, the authority that was entrusted to the high priest, especially in a heavenly level at the heavenly temple. It's just that the men on the ground the whole time really, really struggled with sin and bad behavior. So they always struggled to be a good conduit for the for the spirit to flow through. This is why I said, go check out my video. Acts two, nothing new. It's the morning cup of context in my playlists. And I expound upon this idea um, so that you can just better <laughs> better understand how the spirit moves to the priesthood and how it blesses the people with you know with miracles and and the gifts of the spirit as a result so that's what we got going on in Jesus day so let's look after the disciples are dead in a moment of prophecy how men through the spirit of God can do miracles you guys ready so we've looked at before Jesus gave power to his disciples and the, the, the reason why the, the disciples even have power because they had to learn right behavior to be conduits of that power. And we saw that before Jesus, all the way, I mean, we got all the way back to Enoch, but you know, we even have examples in the Old Testament. And even during the days of Jesus, we see Mark chapter 9 examples, some nameless guy that's doing miracles as well in the name of Jesus, in the authority of Jesus, which means you're keeping the Torah, <laughs> keeping the commandments. Now we see, obviously, we see it with Yeshua and his disciples start doing it as well as he sends them out because he's, he's given them that command and confidence. They know now the proper behavior. They're being taught by the Messiah who has the proper behavior. But then they are going to die, right? We see Paul do miracles as well because he knows the proper behavior. He knows what the covenant terms are, which is Torah, keeping the commandments. But let's go to way beyond their generation. Okay. 
way beyond their generation. And let's look, and this is in the Bible, guys. I don't even have to go to, you know, a, a extra biblical book or an apocryphal book. No, this is just, this is in our canons, guys. It's, it's been there the whole time. You guys ready? The two witnesses. Let's read about them. Then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff. And someone said, get up, measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court, which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it's been given to the nations. They will tread underfoot in holy city for 42 months. I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will pro prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours, devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These, that's the two witnesses, have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. They have power over the waters to turn them into blood, just like Moses, right? They have this, to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. So we got a mixture of like Moses and Elijah examples of power. But these are miracles. And this is 42 months. For 42 months leading up to the return of Yeshua, which is not our generation, it's still in the future, because Yeshua has not come back yet. The, this, the idea, this Revelation 11 has not been fulfilled yet, guys. Yeshua has not come down through the sky. This is the rest of Revelation 11 when the seventh trumpet actually blows, and then the Christ, Yeshua, our Messiah, starts to descend through the front with his angels. So, you know, this it has not happened at all yet. So this whole concept is this. Even leading up to the days of Yeshua, we have what I believe that these guys are men. This is not out of the ordinary for what men can do if they're actually doing the commandments of God. So now you guys are ready for the encouraging part. Hopefully you are. Because I'm ready to encourage you. Let's go here. For all of you living today. So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will again gather you from all the peoples where the Lord has scattered you. This is the first resurrection event, guys. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you. From there he will bring you back. How beautiful. The Lord your God will bring you into the, hand, the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, let's keep going real quick to verse through verse 8. The Lord will, God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. And this is done about eternal life in the kingdom. Gathered into the New Jerusalem, circumcised heart. You got the law written on it. That's the Torah that you're practicing now. You're going to do it forever. This is how you live forever. The Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the Lord your God and observe all his commandments, which I command you today. We're in that time period, guys. This is the moment where we're calling to mind from all the nations where we are scattered. We're calling to mind. We're calling them all to mind. So guess what? As we get better practicing them, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for you to expect miracles to happen through you. Because that's the process. That's the formula. I pray all the time the Father puts my heart and my actions 
in alignment so that his miracles can flow through me when they're needed. Not for show, not for money, not for profit, not for, not for status, but when they're needed to help people, to benefit those people that might need that extreme circumstance in that moment. And I, I pray all the time, you know, bring me to that discipleship level where you trust me with that kind of power. And I, you know, I, because what have, what have we been finding out in the past, you know, 15 to 20 years in our, in our current generation and multiple countries all over the world is that people are waking up to what discipleship actually means. It's actually the commandments of God. It's the behavior Jesus taught his disciples. That's the only way miracles are going to flow through you consistently. So this is, and I say consistently, intentionally, because this is what we see miracles happening in other countries. Many of you watching right now have may have been on um, some sort of, you know, mission uh, with the church or something in the past. And you saw like a, some sort of, you know, service in India and you saw miracles happen. All right. Remember when Yeshua was, was uh, healing people and he would say to them, according to your faith, it's done unto you. So, there's two people involved in the in the miracle game. <laughs> there's you, the conduit that's trying to do the miracle to help someone, and there's the person receiving. God's not going to give someone a miracle who doesn't want it. And you're, by the way, the disciples, they had sound doctrine. They did. They really did, but they didn't know it all. We see that even with Peter, you know, on into Acts chapter 10, Peter still is obeying Judaism instead of the Torah. He has to be reprimanded for that with his vision and explained, you know, uh, better doctrine. So even when you, when Peter is sent out by Yeshua in Luke 9 and Matthew 10, and he does miracles with the other people, casts out demons, and, and they're excited about it, he still doesn't have perfect doctrine. Well, neither does the missionary that you saw in India who standed up there and said, come up here if you want to be healed. And then that person got healed because that person believed. Now, and this is where we run into... Uh, this is where we run into the topic that we, you know, we've tried to expound upon on this channel lovingly and with as much seasoning salt as possible. In fact, my wife and I did a whole video on it. It's, you know, what happens if my friends and family don't keep Torah, where we expound in great depth about what Torah truly is and how Christians and modern churches, the majority of them are keeping some of the Torah as best they can. They're just sitting under bad teachers. So there's some of them that truly have a heart for the father and the father knows they're under bad teaching. He's not going to stop Yeshua from pushing forth the Holy spirit through that imperfect vessel, which we're all imperfect vessels. He's not going to stop a gift of the spirit, like miraculous healing or power to flow through that imperfect vessel in the moment that Yeshua chooses for this willing soul who's set under bad doctrine on the earth, but still is willing. And he goes overseas and he tries to lay hands on someone to heal them. And that person who gets their hand, who gets hands laid on them, who needs their cystic fibrosis cured or whatever, and they get healed by the power of God. That's Yeshua's choice flowing through them. They were being as obedient as they understood obedience to be. They were walking like Jesus walked as best as they understood it. So Yeshua can choose to work with an imperfect vessel. In fact, I would put forth, he chooses to work with all imperfect vessels because that's what we all are. <laughs> so unfortunately, we current in, in 
you know, in the last 10 years, I've seen a lot of people waking up to the idea of what discipleship really means, which is following the, the behavior, the commandments of God, as many of them that apply to you. And then they start to develop an, an attitude of superiority, which is very destructive. And they start saying, well, the people that are in mainstream churches that don't think like I think, and they still think that some of the law is done away with, that they're not following Christ. And that is a shame on anyone that's following Torah to say, to think that. Because that just reveals you don't know what behavior of Torah is and that you think you're already perfect in your behavior of Torah. And, and to me, it's just this is what we try to lovingly share is just like, look, you came along. You came from a mainstream church setting where you were told the Sabbath was done away with, dietary stuff was done away with, you can eat whatever you want, and that you don't have to worship on Saturday anymore because you just rest every day in Jesus. And you see, I mean, you were told these little bitty things that were changed and different, which is not true. And then you came out of that mindset and that bad teaching and came to a different, a different understanding that you feel has blessed your walk and you're trying to keep as much of the commandments that apply to you. Pray for those who are still in that situation. But guess what? If that person is still in the situation of under bad teaching that thinks part of the law is still done away with, and they're doing miracles through them in Mexico or in Nicaragua or in Peru, Father's using them how he wants to. Father uses imperfect vessels. He does. And he's he's <laughs> he's not going to stop the person who has faith that needs to be healed and comes forward, wants to know God and, and has faith because they heard that this person say that God loves them and created them and wants to heal them of their disease. And they come forth in, in genuine faith, according to their faith that's done to them, as Jesus said. So I'm trying to cover the basis here because I know we get a lot of questions with this topic. To be the best conduit you can for miracles to flow through you, do the behavior of Jesus, which means you're doing as many of the commandments that apply to you as faithfully as you can. Spirit will move through you as best you can. Guess what? Even if you have a sincere heart but are under really bad teaching and you think you don't you can just eat pigs, <laughs> or you think that, you know, um just pick a pick a strange teaching, you know what I'm saying? Just dispensationalism, as I talked about, right? Even if you think that um that the spirit of God works differently in different generations with different people because he's just fickle and is bipolar, which is completely outside of Torah. Um, even if you think that and you've grown up in that, the spirit of God can still flow through that person or through that mindset to heal someone because if you have genuine faith that you want to do what's right and help them and be a conduit of healing. The person that you're talking to genuinely wants to be healed. You have a high probability for the spirit of God to flow according to Yeshua how he chooses to pour that spirit out. So the point is, we, you know, we can't walk around judging someone else's servant. We have to take care of our own house. We have to. And this is, this is why I said, I, I know that I'm imperfect and I'm, you know, actively trying to get better all the time in my walk. And I pray that the father puts me in a position where he trusts me for his power to flow through me at any moment that may be needed. And if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, that's okay. But if there is an instance or a situation where I want it to happen, I want to make sure that my heart, and my mind's prepared as much as possible. Um, and I personally, guys, I mean, this is a whole other, whole other podcast. But I would say forgiveness is a huge part of this. If you have a hardened heart toward your fellow brethren or your family or whatever, I 
I would struggle to see the father. I mean, I'm father can do what he wants, but I would struggle to see the father and the son flowing the spirit through you to heal anybody. If you have a, if you have a holding hatred in your heart or anger or unforgiveness or contempt for your brethren. So that, that would be step one as far as a heart check, but then you're actively trying to get better at doing the behavior of Jesus, which is, which is why we see this transition of perception in the people that Jesus was around because they were being taught bad stuff that was stifling the power of God to flow through the people. He taught them good stuff that would open up the spirit to move through the people and the kingdom, the benefits of the kingdom of God be made manifest all around them. So, all right, I'm gonna get off my soapbox. Uh, I'll stop with all that. I just wanted to encourage as many people as possible, guys. We're in, we are in, in a beautiful time right now where the Father is waking people up all over the world to his behavior, breaking them out of bad doctrines, waking them up to the simplicity of, of behaving like his son, which is doing the commandments of the Father. And as a result of that, I think we're going to see some miracles. Like more than, more than you see in, the, in these select, you know, missions trips and the occasional, you know, um, uh, what's the word like revival tent, tent revival style meeting, you know, that you would have in, in occasional places in different countries, sometimes the United States, you know, they were famous 40, 50 years ago, but unfortunately now even that whole thing has just kind of been smeared with the whole, you know, Benny Hinn style nonsense. Um, but I'm, I'm praying that people get back to the simplicity of the book because that's what I see happening as a fulfillment of prophecy from Jubilees 23 and Deuteronomy 30, that people are waking up to the behavior of Jesus in totality and they're practicing it. God's going to do some fun stuff, in my opinion, leading up to his return. And he shows us two witnesses that have the power flowing through them on massive Elijah and Moses levels. So it's exciting. We've got fun times ahead, guys. Fun times ahead. Okay, any questions you may have, we'll take those questions now. And um, just prepare your questions, and I'll be right back. Like I said before, guys, go to facebook.com, go to lighthouse.com, the group in Facebook, and go join. This is how we're going to help get the word out and support this free speech movement for this new platform. Sean M's asking a question that I honestly don't know the answer, brother. There's a lot of different critiques by rabbis on a lot of different variant topics. This is, this is a very specific one. Personally, I've never heard rabbis talk about this, and I don't know the reasoning for it. So I apologize, brother. But you're asking why do rabbis criticize placing Matthew before the Gospel of Mark? I've been told that if I can remember from Bible college a long time ago, um, I think it was the Gospel of John that was supposedly written in like AD 45 or AD 50. Um, so I, I think Matthew was... Honestly, I, I can't give you a, a good answer. I apologize. <laughs> apologize. I would just be guessing to what their argument is, their critique. So let's look real quick. As always, post post your questions in all caps, like stress free me just did. He says, please pray for me as I've stated teaching Bible. I've started teaching Bible classes at a Christian recovery center facing many demons. Yes. Yeah, you'll definitely get attacks when you start 
trying to help people understand God's word. So we'll pray for you. Anyone watching right now in the chat, please pray for stress-free me. Allow him to continue to stay stress-free and so that he can uh, um, boldly teach the word of God. So. Oh, thanks, TX Sunshine. Hopefully it. Yeah, it is about how he see. I mean, we don't have the power to do it. It's, it's Jesus using the Holy Spirit through his priesthood that flows through us is what that's, he makes that decision. But if you want to be a good conduit of that power, the qualifier is adopt his behavior, which is the commandments. So um, Abraham Sewell is asking a question. So is the design, the UX, UI face happening now? Is there a teaser site going up as soon as the domain name is, is in question? Up, Mark. Yeah, brother, we're, that's why I was saying go to the, we've got the lighthouse.com is already, already available. It's not, it's not open. It's not launched yet, but it's already up They're Yes. They're working on the UX and the UI. They have been for months and um, the domain's already secured all that. And we're, we're beginning our marketing push. Yeah. All right. Sean is Sean brother. You're going to have to come uh, as always. We try to, we try to say when you have a question, make sure it's as, you know, as thoroughly worded as possible. The, the, the little, run on sentences or little snippets of like half a sentence. I can't understand your question with this medium working like this with this live streaming idea. So I want to be able to answer your question, brother. I just, I got to know what it is and I apologize. I just don't know what your question is. So if you could just try to put it in a one coherent full sentence and that'll help me out and we'll try to get an answer for you if possible. I think I saw one further up. I'm going up there real quick. As much as it will let me scroll back up. Okay. All right. Stephen Belk is asking a question. Can you comment on the comforter, the Ruach? Doesn't he say it will lead you in truth? Well, sure. Yeah. Um, yes, the comforter is the rock. That's what Jesus has the power to send. That's the verse we read from Acts chapter 2, 32 and 33. And uh, yes, it, it will lead you in truth. Um, but that, you know, I'm not sure exactly where you're going with that. I apologize. Um, I've heard people take that statement wildly out of context, even to say that you don't need the Bible. You don't need anyone to explain the Bible to you. You don't need people that should know the Bible to become teachers, which is an actual gift of the spirit ministry of the spirit of God. Um, so I don't exactly know where you're going with that. I don't think you're going that vain with it, but I don't, I apologize, brother. I'm, I don't, I don't know exactly, but from on the surface level, what you did say hundred percent. Yeah. It will lead you on all truth. And the comforter is the Ruach. The BHSC is asking, according to modern Christianity, Galatians 3, 24 to 25, and Ephesians 2, 14 to 15. It says the Mosaic Law is abolished. What's your interpretation on these? Well, if you're new to the channel, I think you are, because I think I just saw you pop in a couple months ago. Um, I've done an entire series on Galatians. And so I would go check that out. It's in my Torah Apologetics playlist. It's actually have its own playlist. It's called, uh, what's it called? Yes, I've read Galatians. <laughs> Let me go see what it's called real quick. But yeah, I would, um, if, if one of the moderators has a chance, they could drop that Galatians playlist in, in the chat. I'm going to answer the question. I'm going to look at these scriptures you, you gave me and answer this question, but just for everyone else walk. Yeah. It's called, have you read Galatians is the playlist. Um, go check that out. It's in my playlists, but let's look at some of the scriptures that you, that you posed. Cause these are classic ones that people bring up all the time, 
all the time. In fact, I have an entire shirt I made that says, yes, I've read Galatians because this is how often the book of Galatians is brought up when people try to say that the law is abolished. So this is why I've did my Galatians series, because in the first two videos of that four part series, I show you just every place that Paul kept and taught the Torah. So by the time you get to part three and part four, you're like, yeah, well, it makes sense. But then I do in part four, I go over the entire book and in each chapter and, and address all the sticky phraseology. Um, and we, we actually talked about this. I think it was a couple nights ago, the whole concept of who bewitched you. And this is what I think I was talking about it when um, two episodes ago last week when we reviewed um, Rachel Elior, the Hebrew professor, and how she was reviewing the Dead Sea Scrolls in her presentation, talking about the, the actual Pharisees who were removing scripture and creating their own canon to leave out a bunch of books that prove Jesus Christ in the first century. And that's that's the same group of people that are bewitching the Galatians in Paul's day, because there was a groups of Pharisees going around trying to steal his converts that he had made in these other in these other nations. Um, so let's put this on screen real quick. Galatians 3, 24 and 25. As always, you know, the reason why most people trip up with Galatians is because they're just plucking something out of context. All right, the, the wonderful tutor. So the big question that I always ask for people when they when they say, well, see, look, the, the law was a tutor list to Christ. Now that we now we don't need the we don't need the law. These are uh, BHSC that you're asking us. This is this argument is brought forward by people who never thought in their mind that they were under the law to begin with. In their mind, in their theology and their denominational teachings, they've never been tutored, quote unquote, by the law to begin with. So, you know what I'm saying? So, so how did it lead them to Christ? That's not, so this whole passage is always being taken out of context. Um, and like I said before, they're, they're already instinctively doing the behavior of the law in their effort to follow Jesus Christ. They don't, you know, steal from people. They don't kill. They don't, you know, rob people. They don't, uh, they honor their father and mother. You know, they worship the Lord, the God only. They, they do their best as far as they, they think to follow the 10 commandments as best they can. And they're, and they're very muddled theologies. So, but they, in their mind, they're not truly under the tutor anyway. And it's really funny to hear them talk about this because it's like, when were you ever following the, the quote unquote, the tutor to lead you to Christ? It sounds like you came to Christ from your wicked lifestyle and that you had a conversion moment. So you weren't following the tutor anyway. So like the whole argument just starts off wrong because it's taken out of context. Um, and this is, this is what they try to explain about before faith, we came into custody. And again, Brother, you just you smack dab right in the middle of a huge point of context, an entire book of context of who he's talking to. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so Paul is explaining in Galatians chapter one and two how he had come out of Judaism, which was Pharisee teachings. And now he's been given the right hand of fellowship with James and Peter and John, that he's accepted his message of Jesus Christ and what he was explaining according to teaching Torah, which I explained in those videos in great, great detail, was accepted by the other disciples. This is why we see him interacting with the other disciples in Acts 15. He's also teaching Torah in spades in the book of Romans and also here in Galatians. Um, but he's trying to explain to them these ideas that the people that he had taught and mentored in the Torah, in the Old Testament, in the Law and the Prophets, in the region of Galatia. So the converts, the new disciples that he had acquired in Galatia, he didn't have the book of Galatians to teach them. He didn't have the book of Romans to teach them. He didn't have even the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John during that. He was teaching them from the law of the prophets. He had taught them 
Torah and how because it proves Yeshua is our high priest. It's it's literally the only thing that makes sense of him being in our high priest position, doing the law on our behalf and the heavenly tabernacle before the Father to make atonement for us. You don't understand any of that without understanding the law and the prophets. So the people that came to faith in Jesus in Galatia under Paul were taught the law and the prophets to understand Jesus. But they're still young in faith. And when he leaves, because he goes in different missionary journeys three different times in the book of Acts, and he, the Galatia is one of the regions that he, he had went to. The Pharisees are coming in behind him everywhere he goes and trying to steal those converts away. They do this today. They're called anti-missionaries, and they, they're rabbinical Judaism. They do this. I've had them on my channel to interview some, one of them. <laughs> so they, they do this today. They try to steal converts from Jesus if they think that you're weak in your faith and you don't understand the Torah or the Old Testament law and the prophets. So that's what's happening in the, the overall context of the book of Galatians. So we dip into chapter three, where he's now jumping into actual deep theology. This is where you have to understand the law and the prophets to understand the wording that he's even using here. He says, but before faith came, and that faith that he's using in reference here is the resurrection that's promised to you through Jesus Christ's high priest position. That's the faith that we're having that we're going to be saved when he resurrects us from Sheol. He already explains this in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. Um, but Romans was a different province, so that was a different letter to a different people group. But he explains this exact concept of what it means to be in faith before we're kept in, we were kept in custody under the law until we got to this point of faith. Doesn't mean you stopped doing the law, because that's literally the behavior of Jesus Christ. That's the behavior of the covenant which leads you to the point of faith. And the faith that he's referencing in these passages is your resurrection unto eternal life that's only provided to you by Jesus Christ. You have to have faith to believe that Jesus is going to go through with the motions that are prophesied of him to raise you from the dead. So, does that make sense? Why are you kept in custody on the law? Because in Leviticus 18, 4 and 5, that's literally the promise of the law. So the custody that you're in safe guarding for, that's what custody is about, right? You're in custody. You're, it doesn't mean a bad thing. This isn't like parole custody. This isn't prison custody. <laughs> this is guardianship. You're cared for. That's what, that's what that word means. You're cared for. It doesn't mean you're in trouble. It means you're cared for by the law. It means this was the part where the Father said in Leviticus 18, 4 and 5 and many other places, if you do these commandments, which are the requirements of the Torah of the Covenant, you will have eternal life. Now, to get from that to the actual getting eternal life, Jesus is in the mix as the high priest. He's the, he's the one that makes that a reality for you because that was what was prophesied of him. So therefore, this is where before faith came, before we stood in this moment in faith that Yeshua is going to raise us from the dead in his high priesthood position that he's already ascended to, we were in guardianship, we were cared for by the law. He's speaking in metaphoric terms about huge concepts that you have to understand the law and the prophets to be able to follow this book. In fact, brother, if, if you're new to this channel, it, I would just lovingly say, read the law and the prophets and put Paul down. This is what we tell people lovingly because Paul is a master level in the law and the prophets. He speaks quickly in his letters, assuming you know the law and the prophets because the people he's writing to, he taught already the law and the prophets. This is a PhD guy on the law and the prophets expounding quickly with allusions, metaphors, similes, prolepsis, all types of literary devices 
in quick reference to huge concepts in the law and the prophets. And if you are not studying the law and the prophets, this is why you have whole denominations that only preach Paul. And they've made up theology that's contrary to the law and the prophets and even to Jesus Christ because they're, they get confused and they twist Paul like, like we're warned about by Peter in second Peter three, 15 to 17. So that's, that's verse 23. I'm trying to make it quick, but there's a lot of meat and a lot of context there. Verse 24 says, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. That's a positive thing. Let me ask you, let's just go with the, let's just go with the metaphor that he's actually using in this moment. Okay. He's using this, this school relationship, right. Of a tutor who teaches a disciple or a pupil something. So the tutor prepares you for your test, right? In a school setting, the tutor teaches you a subject in preparation that you know it well enough. That way you get to the, to the headmaster who gives you the test. You can then pass the test. So in that scenario, whenever you prepare with the information and then go to the headmaster to take the test, if you pass that test, well, look, there's two things here. Who's the headmaster that's evaluating you on the test that the tutor got you prepared for? It's Yeshua. Like he just says, the tutor that leads us to Christ. What is Christ going to prepare you on? He tells us in Revelation 2, if you keep my deeds, what did he tell us in John chapter 15? His deeds were the Father's commandments. He tells us the same thing in Matthew 19, 16 through 17. If you want eternal life, that's the faith. He's speaking of here. If you want eternal life, Jesus says you got to keep the commandments. That's that's the every word and deed you'll be evaluated on. So Yeshua is the one who is actually going to decide the events of your life. You stand before him in judgment. The tutor is the law that prepares you for that moment. So if you if you ever were get to the get to that point because this is the faith that you're justified by because you believe he's going to go through with his part of the deal as a high priesthood and evaluate you on the requirements of the covenant which is the tutor the law and then as a result of that raise you to eternal life because that's the promise of the tutor that's the promise of the law Leviticus 18 4 and 5 I already read it also uh, Deuteronomy 30 earlier right so the headmaster is evaluating you. At what point would you ever step before the headmaster with the information that you were trained to know? And then you you demonstrate proficiency in that information before the headmaster. And then when, you, when he says, oh, you, you know it, that's great. And then you stop doing it. You would never do that. You would never do that. If you're training for a physics, uh, that's a bad example. Forget physics because you never use it past that. If you're training for... If you're training for fourth grade math class, trying to do long division and multiplication tables, and then you take the test for your teacher, and do you stop using long division and math, uh, uh, your uh, multiplication tables for the rest of your life? No, of course not. You use them all the time because the tutor prepared you for the test. So this the, the backwardsness of dispensation theology that so many people push at you is that, oh, the, the, the law, which they never understood, never never thought they were keeping anyway, that's the, the hypocrisy, the irony there. The law led you to Christ, and now we don't need the law. We just follow Christ. I'm like, yeah, well, Christ did the law. He told us to do the law. So he told, that was his behavior. I mean, if I'm going to follow him, I'm still doing the law. Because that's the tutor. You would never get to the point of showing that you know what you need to know from the law when you step up to the master, which is Yeshua. And then after you're evaluated, you then stop doing all that behavior. No, <laughs> then you're didn't. That would mean you've left the faith. And you're no longer a disciple of the master. So, I think I'm belaboring this a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully that's a good answer for you. Hopefully, you understand uh, what I'm getting at. Um, the whole thing is just the whole question is just steeped in muddiness. It really is. It's bad. Um, 
All right, let me, let me go to James one twenty two here. He says, could, uh, could the physical assembly of believers needing to be in one accord for signs and wonders to happen? Um, James one. Okay. Let me see. I think I'm misreading the question. Could the physical assembling of believers needing to be in one accord for signs and wonders to happen? Could, I think you're trying to ask, could the requirement be that the physical assembling of believers was needed? Um, no, no. Like I read from Mark nine. I mean, there's already another random dude by himself, not assembled with the other disciples and the other believers. He's out there by himself running around doing miracles and doing it in the name of Jesus. So, and the authority of the high priest and Messiah. So yeah, no brother, that's not the qualifier in my opinion. I hope that's a decent answer for you. Uh, you're welcome, Abraham. I think it's a worthwhile topic. Um, <laughs> Sean M's asking, is it is it false? Is it sin or false doctrine to produce films such as Aronofsky's Noah, where truth is obviously altered? Um, I mean, I, I <laughs> it's definitely false doctrine. I'm not going to tell. I mean, because I know what the definition of sin is, right? It's transgressing God's commandments. There's there's no commandment that says you know you, you can't make a bad movie because that was just a bad movie. Um, but at the same time, to me, this would fall into the, oh, I forgot I still had this up. This, this would fall into the parameters of like Romans chapter one. It's those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Um, you know, someone like Aronofsky, you're, you're talking about steeped in, in Gnostic occultism. So the, the works that he's putting forward on, in film as propaganda, you know, to try to introduce ideas and bad teaching and, and things to, to society for indoctrination. You know, he, he's just a part of the enemy. I mean, I, I'm not going to say it specifically that for him to produce a movie that has false teaching in it is a sin specifically, but he definitely falls into the realm of someone that rejects the creator um, and is suppressing the truth and unrighteousness by putting out bad stuff that that slanders the word of God, basically. So uh, hopefully that's a good answer for you, brother. Joy is saying Paul is like a teacher of teachers. Um, this is why it blows my mind, Joy, that that people give Paul such a bad rap. It's not just that he's an incredible teacher. I personally think that, you know, maybe if I understood Koine Greek, there may not be, you know, the, the translation issue into the into the English. There may be some, you know, lost in translation ideas. I personally think that the wording, the way the sentence structures are actually worded within some of Paul's letters are a little bit confusing. I, I will, I will give some of the critics that one, but that's probably just because it's translating English from ancient Greek. But with that said, Paul is like Peter says, I mean, the dude, the dude's extremely difficult to understand, but you have to understand where he's coming from. Paul was trained a Pharisee, of the Pharisees, like, the, you know, the reason for him to say that would mean that he's like the best of the best. Uh, as he talks about in Galatians chapter two, that he was very zealous for the ancestors, for the traditions of his ancestors. He was rising in the ranks in Judaism as far as his renown and who he was. And, you know, supposedly that he was, you know, someone that had some sort of weight and authority in their little clique because he did know the law, but he also knew all these traditions that muddled the efficacy and the actual implementation of the law in a person's life and also caused them 
to be hateful towards the actual Messiah because they had all these these uh, pernicious little parameters they set up to reject the Messiah, which is still prevalent in Judaism today, which is why in Galatians 2, he says he left Judaism. His former manner of life was in Judaism. He's no longer with Judaism. He had to come out you know, by his Damascus experience where the, the, the son you know, had a moment with him in a, in a kind of a miraculous way to slap him awake, if I could put it like that, you know, knock him off his, knock him blind for a minute. So this this concept of him just not he's not only a, i agree with you he is a teacher of teachers he he like i said before he's like a, a professor um someone that's actual phd that he's that may be difficult to understand because he's so brilliant but at the same time you know you can't understand him it's our responsibility and our job to go and learn the front of the book don't start reading the back of the book guys you don't do that with any other book in your life <laughs> You don't do that with you did not pick up a book when you're a kid and about the ABCs and just start with T U V like, no, you started with a B and C. We have to do the same thing with the Bible. And Paul is, is easy to understand. That's how I'm sitting here on camera explaining it to you. Um, hopefully that's a decent answer. I mean, it wasn't answer, but, uh, uh, hopefully that, you know, complimented your thought there, Mr. Way. Uh, Ms. Marsh is asking a question. Would you get a COVID test if you can't get medical surgery without getting the test? Um, the, the COVID test itself is just a swab. Uh, it's either the spit or the, you know, the thing in your na nasal cavity. That's up to you. I mean, I mean, at this point in the state, in the game, they're not, you know, sending you to a FEMA camp if you test positive for COVID and they're not forcing, they're not forcing, an actual needle in you um, like to get a vaccine the moment you test positive for COVID or something like that. So I, I personally, if, if it came with within your scenario of your question, because that's the specific parameter is your question is it's an either or situation. You either reject the COVID test and don't get surgery, or you accept this uncomfortable COVID test, which may say you're positive and have, you have to put off your surgery for two weeks in order to get your actual surgery that's needed, I would say, what's the priority of your surgery? Is it a have to have it kind of thing? I mean, but otherwise, you know, the, the COVID test by itself right now is not, I mean, more than likely it'll be a false positive. Cause that's, that's, they literally told us that in the news, they literally told us that in the news that all these tests were sent out these medical facilities and most of them were already sampled or contaminated with the actual um, coronavirus itself. So it's nonsense, but I mean, that's really, that's a family decision, sister, as far as you and your family and, and the necessity of your surgery and your fear for uh, testing positive. But ultimately, I would not let them put you on a ventilator. If I'm not a medical professional and I'm not giving medical advice, this is uh, Kingdom Cast discussion for entertainment purposes only and hopefully educational concepts about scripture. But I have no way, you're, no, in no way, your medical provider. But at the same time, if, if I was in that situation and I, was forced to take a coronavirus test and I somehow tested positive for COVID-19, I would not, 100% would not allow them to put me on a ventilator. That is how, that is a huge part of the reason of the numbers for deaths in the beginning of all this is because they were being mistreated by ventilation. So I would not let that happen. In fact, we even tried to post a video about it, about this nurse that tried to come out with her actual video and audio glasses showing in Elmhurst Hospital in New York City about exactly the, the medical maltreatment that was going on with COVID-19, how the patients were just being killed and put on ventilators that were that was not the right treatment for them. But YouTube won't let me upload that video. 
to New Jerusalem Media. So, guys, go support Lighthouse. On uh, right now, the way you support it is Facebook.com and groups. Go to Lighthouse.com, the group, or go to my page uh, on on Facebook and see the posts I made, and go from one of those posts to the Lighthouse group. Easy way to find it. Join the group. Help us spread the posts content in the group. That way we get the word out and Lighthouse can start as a success. And we don't have to worry about losing your ministry channel because YouTube won't let you post truth. So go help us with that. Royce Bell is asking, who is the USA in Bible prophecy? Everyone loves to ask this. The whole the whole eagles mention in Matthew 24. People like to think it's the eagle from the American uh, you know, symbol of the American bird. Um, it's personally to me, America itself is an extension of what is now, uh, you know, the amalgamation financially it's, it's Egypt, uh, spiritually it's Babylon, this idea, not America itself. It's an extension mixed with a bunch of other nations. So this whole concept of mystery Babylon, who has its tentacles throughout the world. And that's why there's, Kings of the earth in Revelation uh, 16 and 18. There's these kings of the earth. It's also in 1st Enoch 61 through 63. They rule the world through all the different countries underneath them. These are the quote unquote behind the scenes players that people don't really know who they are. And these are the people that will face judgment for Yeshua. And these are the kings of the earth who rule the world. America's just lumped into one of those. Yes, it's a place of prominence financially, well, not financially anymore, but it has been a place of prominence militarily and financially for quite some time. But so have other nations throughout history. Nations come and go. Things change. The kings of the earth make different decisions, raise one nation, lower another nation. Depends on what's going on, what they're trying to do, what deception they're trying to push. Um, I don't think specifically the United States is mother Babylon. I don't think it's, I don't think it's the whore that rides the beast in revelation. I think it's just another player in the grand scheme. And personally, I think that there's some things happening in the middle East that both financially, militarily, and politically in, like I've said to you guys before, I think we at least have another 50 to 70 years before Yeshua returns. And within that time period, Yeshua and all of its prominence, or excuse me, United States and all of its prominence is going to diminish, and some of these kingdoms in the Middle East are going to rise. And with technology, with innovation, with with commerce, with power, I, it's just it's already in the works for the global plan. So, um, the United States is is serving a purpose for them at this point, and that's as much as I guess I could say for now. So, hopefully, that's a decent answer for you. I'm going to take one more question, guys. That I got to go. I've got a meeting soon. Um. Um, Johnny, Johnny Cameron Rodriguez. No, it's uh, go see my polyon video. I explained through scripture who I think the antichrist is the man, the man of perdition, the, the beast Apollyon. I explained to you in great depth. It's, it's on my popular video uploads on my channel here. So go check that out. All right, guys, thank you for joining me tonight. And I appreciate all your prayers. I appreciate your contributions to keep us going. I appreciate everything you're doing. If you want to see, you know, go visit our Patreon, pay, pay, PayPal. If you want to see us continue to do this and get better at it, uh, we're trying to get up our uh, Patreon count so that we can get to the point where we can actually do our documentary on uh, the books of Enoch and Jubilees. Actually, me go to Ethiopia and interview Levites in Ethiopia 
and about some of those books and their original translations, or at least I should say they're some of the, some of the Ethiopic translations. Right. And so, um, that's, that's part of why we're trying to grow our Patreon. Um, I really appreciate everyone that's already on there as patrons. We, we love you. We thank you so much. So thank you for joining us tonight and tomorrow night. Um, we look forward to seeing you here again on kingdom cast.